0: Lord God, Holy Spirit, just rain down on this place and use this vessel, Lord, to bring forth your word and the truths of your word, the practical applications we can make, my God. and Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that we are indwelt by you, Holy Spirit, because where would our wisdom come from if not from you? For man's wisdom is foolishness, Lord, and we just thank you this morning in your name. Amen. So last week, we began a study in uh, chapter 9 of Romans and Romans. Um, in this chapter as well as chapters 10 and 11, it really deals with a lot of questions dealing with the nation of Israel as a whole and as the individual Jew who's really perplexed over Christianity, All right, the fundamental teachings, because they believe or perceive that what is being taught is contrary to the promises that were bestowed upon them as the nation of Israel and as Jews themselves. And as we began to see last week, there is nothing further From the truth. Because when the Lord God makes a promise or gives an assurance in his word, it is going to be fulfilled. There's a trait that's attributed to him. It's called immutable. That means he never changes. And when he says something, he doesn't forget. When he makes a promise, he doesn't lie. So all these things will be fulfilled. So as we look into verses 6 to 13 this morning, we will again confirm that God's promises do not fail. They will be fulfilled his way, through his wisdom, and not by God's way or man's wisdom. And we will continue to establish, confirm the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation that it's by faith, for it has always been by faith. Amen? So with that said, please open up to Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Romans 9, verses 1 to 6. Everybody must be using a cell phone. I don't hear any pages ruffling out there. All right, I got it. It's not as though God's word had failed, for not all who were descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So well, this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love and Esau I hated. Tough verse of scripture, but we're going to look at it this morning. Now, as we look at these verses, we'll continue to some of our thoughts from last week. First of all, we have to establish what is meant by not all Israel is Israel. Many Jews believed they were in a right standing before God just because they were part of the nation of Israel or born as an Israelite, or that they were brought up in the religious ceremonies, rituals, or custom of Judaism. They figured, hey, we're in we're Jews, we're Israelites, we're following the ceremonies and customs, etc., that the religious identification and adherence to these customs and ceremonies was the thing that was going to put them in a right standing before the Lord God. And family, there is nothing further from the truth. There's no amount of ceremonies or rituals or adherence attempting to adhere to the law that will put us in a right standing before God. And as I brought out last week, there are many who call themselves Christians who are under the same bondage. They believe that by keeping sacraments, by keeping ceremonies, by attending church, by doing religious rituals or good works, that they are going to be in a right standing before a holy God. And nothing is further from the truth. And what I have down here is, we can kind of paraphrase the scripture and say all that call themselves Christians are not Christians. They may fall under a denominational name, but they're not really walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew 7:21 to 23. And I have down here that this is one of the three most frightening scripture verses that I'm aware of. Listen to this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That is a scary portion of scripture, that many people are walking around, whether Jew or Christians, deceived, thinking they are in a right standing with, before God because they may proclaim the name of Jesus, or they may proclaim the name of Jehovah, but they have no faith relationship with God, and he'll say to them, I never knew you. Let me tell you, just give you something scary, Teresa and I, she came home and, and her heart was greed. She goes, I went by St. Barnabas, and there were a group of older women doing the rosary in front of the Statue of Mary. And it's sad because they think they're on the right road, and they're being taught a lie from, from that denomination. And it's sad that when they stand before the Lord, now I don't know their hearts. He may, he may say to them, I never knew you, because they're following rituals and ceremony and idolatry. And it's scary because they think they're on the right road. Unfortunately. Many who call themselves Christians belong to some denomination that would come under the auspices of Christianity, but they're walking in a blind assurance, a blind assurance of of a relationship with the Lord God. And it's the same reason that Paul states not all Israel is Israel because they were relying on their customs, their rituals, their ceremonies, their relationship as a descendant of Jacob and Abraham to be called into a right relationship with the Lord. And that's just not true it's only by listen to me faith in jehovah god it has always been by faith into the promise of a savior and it would always be by faith into the savior who fulfilled the scriptures our lord jesus christ let me explain something right from the beginning adam and eve if we look at genesis three fifteen, it's a promise of what they had to look forward to that one was going to come to defeat the work of satan and reconcile humankind to himself When Noah goes into the ark, he builds it by faith and does it by faith. When Abraham receives the promise, he receives it by faith. It has always been by faith, looking forward to the one. Even the rituals that the Jews went through, the sacrifices, it was pointed to the one who would become the Lamb of God, who would take a sin of the world. So the people who truly believe by faith that this covered their sins and were looking for the Messiah... Are the ones who will be saved, and we who look back at the cross by faith and say, "Thank you, Lord Jesus," and we believe into you. Because, guys, anybody ever see Jesus? No, but we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. I'm glad nobody raised their hand because I'd be like, "Okay, now we got an issue." <laughs> All right. But listen to listen to Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what did the Lord say to Thomas? Thomas, blessed are you because you see me and believe, but really blessed are those who don't see me and yet believe. Why? Because they're walking by faith, faith into Christ himself. We've never seen him. People say, you know, I've heard his voice in my heart. Yes, but we walk by faith and not by sight. And let's go on, look at verses 7 to 8, where Paul elaborates on this idea and he writes this Nor because they are descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So Paul states that not only should a person rely on their national or religious affiliation, but you can't rely, as I brought out last week, on your heritage or lineage. You know what? We have families in this church. Parents are saved. Grandparents are saved. It doesn't mean it's going to be passed down to the children just by being born into that family. In the same way, as we read before, not all Abraham's descendants are of Abraham. It's the ones who are going to receive the promise by faith, not just the physical descendants of Abraham. Amen? And um, listen to the following verses as we, we build our case here. Listen to what it says. Uh, uh, Genesis 12, 7. The Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed... Will I give this land? And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Unto his seed. He didn't say seeds. He said seed. All right. And in Genesis thirteen five it says, For all the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. All righty. And then listen, one more. Galatians three sixteen, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say to his seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. All right, Family, the promise was to Abraham was to his seed. Singular, not seeds, meaning all of his descendants that would come from his loins. Because listen carefully, didn't Abraham go with Hagar? And she had Ishmael. So if you think about it, from his loin, his seeds comes in. And in time, he marries another woman after Sarah, Keturah, and she has many children. So you could say they are seeds from Abraham also. But the promise is going to only come to one seed, the one that's going to come through the promise by faith, and that is Isaac. Let me read this. In Genesis 21, 25, 1 to 5, it says, Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, the Midianites. How come they don't receive the blessing? They're from the loins of Abraham. They weren't the seed of promise. They didn't come from the seed of promise. Ishbak and Shua, Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Lemonites. The sons of Midian were Epha, Ephah, Hanak, and so on and so on, right? But listen to verse 5. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. And why to Isaac? Because he was the one who was the seed of promise by faith. Did he have other children? Yes. But the promise goes to Isaac through Abraham. Amen? So why didn't any of these descendants receive the promise of inheriting the land or any of the promises for that matter? Well, it's this. The promise was given to Abraham that through Sarah, Isaac, the promise would be fulfilled. Amen? So the other sons... Were they blessed? Did, they receive, did Esau receive land and become 12 rulers? Yes. I'm way ahead of myself. I am way ahead. I just jumped into like the third part of my sermon. So uh, did the other guys get blessings? Did Ishmael get blessings? Yes. But did not receive the promise. All right. Listen to Genesis 17, 16 to 21. Speaking of Sarah, it says this. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will be the mother of many nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at 90? And Abraham said to God, watch, here's man. Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael will receive the blessing. I could just see the Lord going. Right, and listen to what it says. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant and for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase him as a nation. 21. But my covenant I will establish through Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. So the promise is going to come through Isaac because it is that is the son. When Abraham, It says, Abraham believed by faith. It was credited to him as righteousness. That was the son who was to be born, the son in his old age. Of course, who else could get the glory? Nobody. Only God can get the glory because both were past time for childbearing. And listen to 11, uh, Hebrews 11, 11 to 12. It says this, And even by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, wasn't able to bear children because she, she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from one man, and he is good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And let us make some practical application of what I'm about to explain. Abraham's request for Ishmael really represents man's way of attempting to fulfill God's will in his own way and his own purpose. Meanwhile, Isaac, um, yes, Isaac represents the Lord's way, the Lord's will of fulfilling things. For Abraham relied on the works of his own flesh instead of God's will to attempt to fulfill the promise of God. So we see two things happening here. When he looks to give Ishmael the blessing, he's doing what a lot of us do. We want to take our will and supersedes God's will and do it our way instead of God's way. Instead of when the Lord tells us this is the way to go, this is what to do, follow his path and trust him. But he figured, oh man, I'm a 100? She's 90? It ain't going to happen, but God said, next year, Sarah's going to have a son. Even Sarah left in the tent, right? And what's the result? His efforts aren't recognized by God because they're outside of the Lord's perfect will. So he doesn't even recognize by saying, okay, yeah, through Ishmael. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. God was going to get the glory by giving them a son in their old age. Amen? And it even says, look, Abraham was beyond his years of child-rearing. Hebrews 11 says he's as good as dead. And Sarah was 90, beyond her years of fertility. Again, quoting Hebrews 11. She was beyond child-bearing years. So the conception of Isaac is really a miracle because both of them were beyond the point that they could have children But God fulfills his promise for when the Lord says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And that should be a source of blessing for us. The Lord said that we're on our way to heaven because we have faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord said he's going to come back and take his people to be with him where he is. The rapture is going to happen. You can stand on that as truth. And if you close your eyes tonight, guess what? I'm jealous because you'll open them up looking at the Savior. That is a promise of God. It's going to happen. So all the promises of his word are yes and amen. And we can stand on that as truth. That should give us such an ease and such a peace as the people of God. That he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Times of testing and trial, when we go through the illnesses of life and the tests and the loss of a loved one, he's with us. He doesn't leave us alone. Amen? Praise God. And what we see here in these two situations are man's approach towards a relationship with the Lord. God has provided a way of salvation. And the only way of salvation is faith into the redemptive work of Christ. But unfortunately, since the garden, man has attempted to come up with ways that he can draw near to God. And if you read Romans 1, 18 and on, it says they made up what? Images of Birds and animals and reptiles and images of man, all the religions of the world that are trying to work their way to God, and they're futile, futile. Instead, as we heard today, God came down from heaven and brought heaven to us and went the way of the cross so that we could be reconciled to him. There's God's way and there's man's way. There's God's promise and there's man's will. God's promise will prevail, faith in Christ alone. All the religions are false religions because they don't lead to Christ, because they're trying to work their way to God and we cannot do that, amen? Sadly though, I have down here, many take the Hagar-Ishmael road by taking things into their own hands, by trying to work a religion or religious work or ceremony to get to God, and it ain't the way it's gonna happen. The way it's gonna happen is the fulfillment of the promise, and that fulfillment is Jesus Christ. And let's make another point of application that's relevant for us who are Christians. Here we go, all me time. How many times do we attempt to do things in the wisdom of our own human nature? How many times do we try to do things, again, out of our will? And really, our wisdom is no wisdom at all compared to God's wisdom, amen? And what happens here is God has an appointed way. And the sad part is we, we should pray, get into the word, seek counsel and listen to the counsel and listen to the voice of God, listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us, well, when we receive that wise counsel, many times my bride counsels me because I can go off half cocked and she says, "Mm," and she counsels me and I listen because it's wise counsel. And I listen when my brothers get together, the SEAL team that Tim talks about get together and they discuss the scriptures and they listen to each other and put it into application, right? because when we do it God's way, it works. When we take things into our own hands and try to do it by our will, our purpose, or void of what the Word of God says, there's going to be consequences. Do you hear me? There's gonna be consequences. And it could be a consequence of our action on a temporal level, or we could incur the discipline of the Lord to get us back on the right track, amen? But if we go outside of the will of God and the Word of God, I'm gonna tell you this morning, That's not the wisest thing to do. The wise thing is to listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the counsel of godly people, and what the Word of God says. And be in prayer seeking the Lord when there's a decision to be made. And he will guide and direct you according to his principles. But when we take it into our own hands, eh, not a good thing. We're not the sharpest tools in the shed. I don't care what IQ you have. We don't have the wisdom of God. Amen? And I have down here, bottom line, seek him, listen to him, and do it his way. And I promise you, the one thing that you will get out of that is the peace of God. Because when you know he's over the situation, we have a peace that passes all understanding. Amen? I have some examples here. I just want to run through these. And the Lord just laid them on my heart. Listen to the two different ways things can happen. Let me give you a couple examples. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. What do righteousness and wickedness have to do in common? So for all you people out there that want to do missionary dating, eh, you don't want to be unequally yoked because what's going to happen, and I'm going to use your brother, Vita. Willie got married, didn't listen to his mom. Godly woman said, you're going out with an unbeliever. And for many, many years, he had problems in his marriage because Willie was on fire for God and his first wife really wanted nothing to do with it. It wasn't until she got sick, she came to the Lord right before she died. But Willie will tell you the struggles he had in that marriage because he was unequally yoked. And now, let me take a little sidebar here. How about our friendships? We can have acquaintances. We can be kind to people and minister to people. But our friendships, where we're going to spend our time and who we're going to hang out with, it really should be with somebody you're equally yoked with, a Christian brother or sister. Because as much as you say the world's not going to have an effect on you, I, I know a brother who was away for a couple of weeks and he said, just those couple of weeks away, I could feel myself already being sucked back into the world. So if we hang out in the garbage heap, you're going to end up smelling and eating garbage. You hear what I'm saying? And this is, uh, I have a scripture here and it says um, bad company corrupts good morals. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, says. You hang out, in the, again, in the dumpster, you're going to come up smelling. So we can be, have acquaintances, the people at work. We can minister to people, be friendly. And we should be friendly and kind. But where we're hanging out and where we're spending our time, and I, I've said this to you before, the people from work, Would go out on Friday when you know when I was much younger, when I first started, got saved, and I knew in my heart of hearts, I ain't going. They're going to be drinking, and the lady's going to be there, and things go on. And my wife will tell you there are people in my department they've flirted with this, had relationships there. "Eh." Don't want to be there. I don't want to even be have a temptation of that evil. You know what I'm saying? So who we hang out with can make a difference, and and really for our young adults. or establishing relationships, you may want to establish those relationships with people of, of like-mindedness, because the world will suck you in. And then I have down here. Listen to this one. It says, uh, Proverbs 15:1. This is a great one, guys. Great one. Listen, a gentle answer turns away wrath. So when you're getting heated, look, we're going to have discussions with people. Things are going to come up where we don't really agree with others. So a gentle answer. Don't get hostile and it'll turn away that wrath. And you can ease a situation. Instead, it could be coming uppity. Or, uh, uh, right? And then down in First Thessalonians 5.22, it says, abstain from every form of evil. But sometimes we'll justify our actions or what we're going to do. Instead of doing it God's way, we can justify in our own will. ah, And then the consequences come. And this, listen to this one. It says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral sin... Man sins against his own body. And what I have down is, look at the effects in our society today from sexual immorality. Look, AIDS, all these sexually transmitted diseases, kids that are born out of wedlock, even abortion. If people weren't fooling around out of wedlock, then the abortions wouldn't take place. So all these things, from not listening, the consequences that come when we don't listen to God's word. And the last one I have down here is 1 Corinthians 10, 14. It says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And I say, oh, man, we're not bowing down the statues. We're not doing idolatry. But if we take anything and put it above our relationship with the Lord, we're falling into idolatry. When sports on the weekends become more important than having your kids in church and hearing the word of God, that becomes an idol. The most important thing, as Mike said the other night, the most important thing you can do is have your kids in the house of the Lord. Whatever time it is, whether it's a Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday morning, Because even us, we can make idols out of things that will get in the way of our using our gifts and talents within the church, coming to church, being at Bible study, being at prayer. If there's ever a time in our, our world's history that we should be people of prayer, today's the day. Today is the day to be praying for our unsaved loved ones, praying for what's going on in the world today, praying for the persecuted church. Amen? Praise God. So I have down, heed the promises and commands of God. He's omniscient. His will is perfect. His word is perfect. We're not perfect, and our wisdom is is, um, not perfect, and our minds aren't perfect, so do it God's way. Now, with all that said, let's get back to our point that not all Israel is Israel. I really get off track. And all Abraham's descendants are are heirs of the promise, but only those who, like Abraham, believe in the promise of God by faith. So listen to verse 8 and 9 again. It says, in other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And that promise is the hope in the seed that was to come that will bless all nations. The greatest son of David, who is none other than who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's by faith faith and it will always be by faith and always has been by faith. Now, Paul goes on, and he really what he does is he plays angel's advocate. I like that. Pastor used to say that. Instead of devil's advocate, angel's advocate. By looking at the offspring of Isaac and raising some questions over Jacob and Esau as, as being as, why would Jacob be chosen over Esau? Like, we don't get it, Lord. And listen carefully. One can make the argument that with Ishmael and Isaac, that, yeah, Isaac's the son of promise, we get it. And that Ishmael and, and the kids from Keturah, they're not the kids of promise, we get it. All right? But what about Jacob and Esau? They're coming from, um, from Isaac, from Rebekah. So why are you choosing Jacob over Esau? All right? And it says that uh, there's a couple of points I want to make here. First of all, we know that Jacob and Esau are twins, are they not? Esau is the firstborn. He comes out first. So who should receive the blessing? Esau. That was the custom of the day. That was the way it should happen. The firstborn was supposed to get the birthright and the promises. Eh, not in God's eyes. Why? Because he knows, he's omniscient and he has foreknowledge. So he knew the difference between the two boys. But church, as the prophet Isaiah says, God's ways are not our our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He doesn't see from a temporal standpoint, he sees from an eternal standpoint, yes? So he knew the difference between the two boys. So what's happening here? It is the demonstration of God's will superseding that of man's because of his omniscience and foreknowledge. Though Esau is the firstborn and should receive the promise, the Lord is going to use Jacob and there's a reason. Now, I'd like to uh, go over something here. It's a term used in verse 11 that we need to clarify to get a little deeper grasp of why God's going to choose Jacob and not Esau. So there's a little Bible study here and it's the term election or elect. What I'd like to do is read something, it's from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary on Biblical Theology, so stay with me as I read this. When we talk about election, because a lot of people say, oh, election, that has to do with Calvinism. No, it doesn't. Listen to me, no, it doesn't. It has to do with a coupling between God's omniscience and God's foreknowledge of things, so listen up. The term elect means essentially to choose. It involves discriminatory discriminatory evaluation of individuals, means, ends, or objects with a view to selecting one above the others. Although not necessarily passing negative judgment on the others, it also involves the will. In that a determination is made, a preference is expressed that one seeks to bring to reality. In that prefer- preference is expressed the idea of bestowing favor or blessing which is often present. In the scriptures, the term "choose" is used from both God and with both God and human beings. With respect to human being covers all of our decisions, whether good or bad. But we make our decisions, what? Our choices out of our own will, out of our own understanding. Since it is true that humans make these choices according to what person is, it goes without saying that God also makes choices according to his will, according to his being, with all his traits. God's choices and decisions are fully consistent with his eternal wisdom, goodness, justice, fairness, and love. Nothing that God chooses is mean-spirited, vindictive, or wrong, all right? So God chooses not only to arise from within one, his eternal being all consistent with who he is and his eternal plans. So God will make choices based on his knowledge, his will, his purposes. But listen, he also couples that with a foreknowledge, which means he knows what's going to happen. So let me explain something. God knew in his foreknowledge and through his omniscience, that Jacob would become a man of faith, a spiritual man, and Esau would be a man of the flesh. So he's not gonna bestow that blessing on Esau, knowing the direction that Esau is going to take. So he bestows it on Jacob, because he knows Jacob would be the one who in time, even though Jacob was a real card, would receive and walk by faith, and be a man of the spirit, and not a man of the flesh. Do you understand that? And how I put it down here is, um, think about God, Think about us. If we're watching a parade, and I heard someone say this, and if we look through a peephole of a parade, we would only see that little bit that's going by. But God looks from the building top, and he sees the whole parade, and he knows where the band's going, who's going to turn to the left, who's going to turn to the right, according to the... So he knows what choices man is going to take in his free will. He knows that already. So when he knew the one was going to turn to the left, he said, sorry, can't bestow my blessing on you, but the one who's going to turn to the right and follow me, I will bestow that on Jacob. Amen? I got ahead of myself, but that's all right. That's okay, right? So it's a legitimate question here. Why him and why not Esau? Listen to Genesis 25, 39 to 34. All right, and this, is, this goes to uh, talking about Jacob and Esau. Listen to what it says about Esau. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. That's why it's called Edom, the red stew. Jacob replied, first of all, give me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank, got up, and left. So Esau disposed, uh, despised his birthright. Do you know what the birthright was? It was a double inheritance, and you would be the chief and priest in the family after the father died. He gave it up for a bowl of stew. Now, I don't like stew, but I, you know, I couldn't care if it was you know, shrimp fra diablo. I'm not going to give up my birthright for, for a good meal. Amen. So here he does, he sells his birthright. The magnitude of what he did for a bowl of stew because he was a man of the flesh. He wanted to gratify his flesh at that moment, and he was re- willing to sacrifice his birthright, his inheritance, his place in the family. Amen? And what about us? What if someone, and it's Jay, um, Caleb, thank you. Thank you, because this goes right, I couldn't believe when you were up here. What about us? If someone would say, deny Christ or you'll lose your job, or I'll put you in prison, take your property, kill you, kill your family. Let me ask you, what decision are we going to make? Are we going to renounce our birthright? And then I have, I'm going to get a little heavy here. Listen to me. Every time, every time we make a conscious decision, conscious decision to sin, after the Holy Spirit convicts us, we're being just like Esau. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us and we poo-poo it apart and say, hey, I'm going to do it my way anyway, what we're doing, we're, we're being just like Esau. We're pushing aside the will of God for our own will. We're gratifying the flesh instead of living by the principle and standard of God. So we can never point fingers. And the practical application I have here are choices and decisions give insight into who we really are and who we really love. Is he our first love? Are we going to consistently yield to our flesh and give it to the gratification of our flesh? Or are we going to yield to the spirit and do it God's way? When we read the principles in God's word, are we going to do it God's way? Let me get, uh, and I hate talking about tithing and stuff, but this is just an example. A couple came in, financial hardships, trouble, all kinds of trouble, and finally the wife goes, you don't tithe. So you want, and so I said, and now you wonder why you're in the financial hardship. You're robbing God. They left the church. What are you going to do? They don't want to apply the godly principle. And it could be anything. That when you apply the word of God, the blessing will come along with it. When you violate the word of God, a consequence will come along with it. And it may be temporal. It may be spiritual. That's why he's given us his word. Amen? So his principles, his will. Family, this may come as one of my key verses, but you can tell a tree by its fruit. And I have down here. Let me ask you this. What's being produced in the orchard of your life? Is it fruit that's going to last for eternity or fruit that's going to be thrown away? It's one or the other. So look at the cost for Esau. For the, There are consequences to our choices, both good and bad. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Okay, even though we're born-again Christians. Now, back on track. Um, let's understand that both Jacob and Esau, neither one of them, deserve the blessing. They're sinners that have to be saved by grace through faith, yes? But I want you to see that when it talks in the Word here that they did nothing good or bad. They were picked prior to before they came out of the womb. That's another way of God showing us it's not about what they're going to do. It's about my choice for them, all right? I'm going to choose my omniscience and my foreknowledge. I know that Japheth is going to walk it. They haven't done anything yet to deserve this blessing but I'm going to make that choice right now in my foreknowledge and omniscience, knowing what's coming down the pike. Listen to Genesis 32, 24 to 26. We talked about Esau. Listen to what it says about Jacob. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with, him, with the man. Then the man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go until you bless me. We never want to let the Lord go. We want to grab onto him and hang on to that blessing he has for us. Do you see Jacob's attitude here? Lord, I ain't letting you go. I want your blessing. I want to walk with you. And Esau was ready to give it up for a bowl of stew. So let's be like a Jacob and just grab onto the Lord. Grab onto those blessings he has for us and trust him and trust him, amen? And it's at that point he says, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. And from him will come the Messiah, amen? And what about us? Are we going to seek and desire the blessing of God through our obedience as we wrestle with this thing called life, or will we despise the word and will of God for some desires of our own flesh? That won't last for only a moment or a season. I may sound harsh this morning, but listen, as the world decays around us and gets more and more into this relative morality and relative moralism, where do we stand? And I've said it before, if this is the word of God, just and the world is here, and we're here we think we're okay but the world's gone so far from the word that we have to pull back and say it's not relative where i stand with the world it's how am i adhering to the principles and the word of god in my life because that's where the promises are that's where the blessings are amen and now let's clarify a last part of this uh scripture verse in romans where it states the older shall serve the younger please understand again that during the lifetime of jacob and esau Esau was never subjugated to Jacob. Later on though, if we look at the prophecies in Obadiah and Malachi, we will see that the, the nation of Edom was subject to the kings of Israel. Okay? So at the time, neither brother, Esau never came under Jacob's um, authority. But down the pike, the nations will happen. And there's a reason for me saying this. Alrighty? Because um, the statement we Verse to the very last part of the verse we're looking at, where it says that God loved Jacob but hated Esau. Listen carefully. He didn't hate the children, the boys. What it's speaking to here is that the Lord saw the two nations that would come from them. Again, the, um, Paul quotes a prophecy from Malachi, which is like 1,500 to 2,000 years after Jacob and Esau were alive. And what he's saying here is this that I will despise the nation that, nations that come from Esau because they are going to walk according to the flesh. But I am going to love those that will follow in the promise, those who follow in the ways of Jacob, who are going to walk by faith. So what we see here is two camps, those who are going to walk in the flesh and those who are going to walk in the spirit. All and what, he, what he's saying here also, not that he hates Esau, and we have to look at it from a passage that's in Luke that's, when it says, if you come to Christ, you must hate your mother, your brothers, your sisters, more than even your own selves, to be a disciple of Christ. What he's saying is this, that you should love Jesus so much more that it pales as hatred to your relatives. So what God is saying is, I love Jacob so much, and those who are going to walk by faith, that it seems like hatred to those that aren't walking by faith, to Esau. But he, And church, he loves us so much that it looks as if it may... Hatred for the world. But does he hate those? No, he died for them. He died for the folks that are out there that aren't walking by faith. But he loves us so much more that it looks make pale as hatred for those in the world. But he died for them. And what does the word say? He desires that all would come to repentance and that none would be lost. He died for all. He loves humankind so much so that he came to reconcile us to himself through the cross. But his love for Jacob is such... And it, the, the things he has for Esau seem as hatred because he loves Jacob that much and what he's saying is those who walk by faith I love you so much that I came and died for you that you could be reconciled to me and be with me through eternity amen praise God and what happens today um, let me go back a sec guys I just again I go ahead of myself let me ask you a question did God love the second group of people of course he does does he bless those people? Of course he does, because the rain falls on the just and unjust. And desi- does he desire that they would all come to repentance? Of course he does. He desires that all will come out of the Esau camp and stake their pegs in the Jacob camp. He wants all to come to faith. I cannot conceive that a merciful and loving God would create people just to send them to hell. He desires that all would come out and put their faith in him. But unfortunately, know that many will follow in the ways of Esau and won't inherit the promise, but there will be a remnant from Jew and Gentile who will receive the promise by faith and be with the Lord forever in his kingdom. Amen? Those who walk in the faith of Abraham and receive the promise and promises that continue through Isaac, then Jacob, then Judah, then David, and were fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But the question each person must ask themselves today is what camp are you in? What camp are you in? Are you willing to hold on to the Lord by faith like Jacob did so as to receive the blessing of God? Or are you going to reject a birthright and becoming an adopted son of daughter and giving it up for a bowl of stew? What does that world have to offer that you would give up eternal life in the presence of a holy God who loves you more than anything? Think about it. What can it offer? A few minutes of pleasure? A few months of pleasure? Gold and silver? How many of these we see over the last, what, six months? Kate Spade, this one, killing themselves. They have everything. What's going on? They don't have Christ. They don't have Jesus. They don't have the peace in their hearts and the hope of eternal life, right? And we can have that this morning. So let me ask you this morning, are you part of the remnant, one walking on the narrow road who has placed their faith in the seed of promise, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you born of the Spirit, which is a deposit? The Holy Spirit's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come guaranteeing. We made out a will. It's a guarantee of what our children are going to inherit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of what we ought to inherit. Amen? Or are you walking in your own unprescribed plan for making your way to God which is no plan at all. It's only going to lead to eternal condemnation. Only you and I can answer the question but if you're on the wide road then let today be the day when you move from the Esau camp to the Jacob camp when you go from the wide road to the narrow road and put your faith in Christ and have the hope of eternal life. Church, we're blessed. We're blessed because we have received by faith the promise that was given to, in Genesis 3.15, given to Abraham that through his seed all nations will be blessed, down to Isaac, down to David, the Messiah came, went the way of the cross. The seed came and has been is willing to bless all nations that will come to him from any tribe, any tongue, any area, any background, any sin committed, he's willing to forgive and accept you into his eternal kingdom. Amen. So what camp are you in today? That's the decision of the lifetime. There's no no other decision that a man or woman can make, a teen can make, a young adult can make, a child can make than to put their faith in Christ and have the hope of eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you, my God, that you are omniscient and in your foreknowledge, Lord, you see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And Lord God, in your mercy and grace, you've allowed us to know the gospel. You've allowed us to come and know your son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. We thank you that you took us out of the Esau camp, Lord, and put us in the Jacob camp. That, my God, we have the hope of eternal life. And Father, again, we pray today, as many go, as Caleb and Angelina go, our other missionaries go, as we go out into our world, let us be a witness to both Jew and Gentile, that they would have the hope, the hope of eternal life, and the promise that you gave to Abraham. And now we see fulfilled in you, our Lord Jesus. My God, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you that we are filled with your spirit and have the guarantee of eternal life. My God, again, we just pray for this church, that you will use us as a beacon and light, and that you use us as ambassadors and ministers for you. Lord God, send us forth this week to do your will and your work. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. So go this week and know that you're blessed. Blessed that you have received the promise of God. Amen. Have a blessed week. Prayer tomorrow night. Midweek study Wednesday as we're going through Genesis. So come on out.